Hello, I am Andrew Noble, pastoral assistant at Grandview Church in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada, and the co-host of the What Would Jesus podcast. You are listening to the Local Youth Worker Podcast. One, two, one, two, three. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. I am here today with Andrew Noble, as you just heard from the tagline, and Linda Oliver. Andrew, Linda, how's it going? Pretty good, John. Doing good. Good to talk talk with you again. Feels like we're growing a friendship. I mean, it's over it's over the internet, so it's not the same, but yes. but something's there. <laughs> yes, that's right. No, it's funny. I, I one I did not look up the episode number that you were on, um, so maybe I can do that in a little bit. But our listeners know you have come on before, but what they don't know is that you and I recorded a podcast just two days ago at the time of this recording uh, for your podcast. What would Jesus tech? Um, again, those who've listened to our podcast, uh, have, have heard that, but there could be new listeners joining us. Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit about what would Jesus tech and just remind our listeners, uh, where you're joining us from and, and what you're doing. Yeah. Well, in first Corinthians, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We ought as Christians to imitate Jesus Christ, including in our use of technology. And Jesus was a techie. That's what he was called. He was referred to as a tecton in the Greek or techie in the way that we would think about it today, a carpenter, uh, whatever you want to think of a techie in that day was a techie today. Maybe he would have hung out with coders. Maybe he would have been a coder for 30 years before going into ministry. I don't know. But Jesus loves technology. God loves technology. And yet technology also has its cursed elements. So we talk about both the blessings and burdens of tech. Yeah. And, uh, and I love that, that Jesus was a techie. And um, as we've said on this, this podcast, Christians cannot be anti-technology. That God, even you know, in his creation mandate, uh, there's encouragement to advance technologically speaking. And um, yeah, I, I love that. And, and as you were talking to, I looked up, uh, so it was episode number 399 on the local youth worker, if people want to get back and, and check that out. And uh, what I was telling you on, on that podcast, um, and I do want to give a shout out to my brother-in-law, Brian DeHuff, who's a listener of this podcast. I was talking with him recently and he was like, you know, there was an episode you had with this guy that was really helpful on setting up parental settings on smartphones. And of course that was you. And that's what we talked about in that episode, but I will put in the show notes again, um, the article that you wrote for the gospel coalition and the, the title is how to make the most of the parental settings on your child's phone. And you had level one to level four, and it was just very helpful. And so parents listening to this, youth workers listening to this, be sure uh, to check that out. Um, today we're going to be talking just a little bit about um, you spoke to a youth group recently about technology and you and I were emailing about this. And I thought just, it would be interesting to hear um, just the maybe the setup of the youth ministry that you helped with. How I mean, just kind of the format. Um, it's you know, youth ministry is different across the globe, and so just for our listeners to hear maybe some of those similarities and differences, but then also get into a few of um, the articles you've written recently about technology that think will be very helpful. And then obviously, Linda, please jump in at, at any point. Um, 
But let's just start there. Kind of talk about this opportunity yeah. you had to speak to the youth ministry and just a little bit about the youth ministry. Yeah, well, it was a cool little setup. Um, there's a church in in Barrie, Ontario. So it was about a hour and a half drive for me. And you go in, it's a big church. You have this large atrium. They have a opportunity for uh, the junior high and senior high to come early up to an hour early to eat prior to the event, which was super cool. So, and they gave me a little free dinner token, um, <laughs> you know, uh, which was, which was cool. So I gave him the token. I got my, you know, slice or two of pizza and I got my carrots and I chose the carrots instead of the chips. He liked my <laughs> um, anyway, so that was cool. And I, I could sit, yeah, and I could sit down with uh, some of the students who are going to be there later. So that was kind of cool just to just to meet and chat. Um, and so the way that they have it set up is they have the junior highs first, kind of 630. They meet together. They do some games, some chaos, some yelling and screaming um, in one main area. Then they break off into other rooms and then they come back for some singing. Um, and so that takes... I don't know, two songs worth. Cause I know it was in between the first and second song that I put on my microphone. So then I go up and for junior high, like we're talking grades six, seven, eight range. Um, that, that was like, just do 10 minutes, Andrew, 10 to 12 minutes is what they told me. Um, and it was true that their attention span was not there and I had to be <laughs> as engaging as I could. And maybe I would have done things a little bit differently. We can get into maybe that too, but that was the setup for that. And then they broke out into small groups. Now I couldn't join the small groups for that one uh, because their senior high jump into the room right after. So they're trying to use their space. Um, and so maybe there's 60 kids in the junior high, maybe 80 kids in the senior high. Mm -hmm. And so the senior high come in, they have a similar back and forth. And then I spoke with them and I had 20 minutes uh, for that group. And so that was good. And we even had time in both groups for questions. And then they do a small group after. And I joined a bunch of grade nine boys talking about technology. Um, and I had given discussion questions and I just totally derailed like our <laughs> our group of boys because because they were they were pulling out stuff and they were talking about things and i was like like how how much what's what apps are you guys using like i just wanted to dive in and understand and they were they were admitting that they were super addicted to um you know going on to snapchat in particular was the big one um snap streaks you know they even even these two guys they looked at each other and they're like we have such a good snap streak and i'm like you guys realize that that is a data point that means way more to the company than it should to you. <laughs> like the fact that you sign on every day, that is the metric that the board of Snapchat cares about for the investors to make money. That is not a number that represents your friendship. Mm. Your friendship is way more than a number. Anyways, so it was, it was really cool to just dive into these kind of issues directly with uh, some of these students. Oh, yeah. No, and Andrew, I'd, I'd love to know, okay, when you told them, okay, hey, that number means more to the board. Um, it, it's, you know, uh, giving them money. Uh, they're making money off of you. One, one, how did they receive that? And then also just kind of curious, what were some of the other apps maybe that they mentioned that they're using? Yeah, well, interestingly, they didn't bring up TikTok 
as much and they brought up video game or gaming apps as well um some of them still use like instagram and that sort of thing but i was challenging them just on on phone use in general i was saying like if you should grow in self-control older men ought to teach younger men self-control we see this explicitly in scripture that's the one thing older men are to teach younger men older women get to teach younger women seven things according to paul they get a nice long list if you look at that list i think it's in uh, titus chapter two older women teach younger women a bunch of things including self-control and other stuff but older men teach younger men self-control so i'm trying to teach them this and i say just spend a weekend away from your phone do it i challenge you you think you want to be a man do this and they're like no because of the snaps chat streaks that that's kind of where where some of this came out of and so when i said like your friendship doesn't mean that there was like a a penny drop moment like like Mm -hmm. they're like well of course yes but like you could see their hesitation like they're it's such an ingrained pattern and a lot of their relationships like the one another boy he talked about how he was kind of like in a relationship with a girl, kind of not like, you know, it's, it's this thing. And he's like, yeah, she's Catholic. It's okay. And it was a weird kind of conversation. Like boys make jokes and there, there was some vulgar jokes and I won't reference those, but there was like a, just like, I don't know. I remember being in grade nine. I remember feeling nervous. I remember feeling stressed. I remember wanting to fit in. And so to lose out on that connection and you can pay Snapchat actually um, to, if you miss a day, you can pay Snapchat in order to get the streak re-added. So Snapchat has learned that they can monetize this even, Um, but that's not the same blah, blah, blah. Anyways, I, I researched that after, but yeah, so they, they, they were, they were recognizing it and yet there's still this tendency because if you think about what are our signs of friendship, if I say I love you to my wife every day, but then I don't say I love you for a day, that ingrained pattern, that liturgy of I love you is a part of our relationship. The liturgies that we have today are more digital in nature. And we have liturgical elements in our friendships, things that we always do, high fives, handshakes, and all these sorts of things. And there's nothing wrong with texting every day to each other it's just we need to see the limits of that and to be aware of how those things are shaping us wow that's fascinating um linda please jump it, in. well one of the things i've seen students do with that um there would be trips like a mission trip or something where we would tell students you can't bring your cell phones especially if we're overseas it's just not gonna um, work and in those cases I remember learning from a few students that what they did was they gave a friend their Snapchat password for the week so that their friend could keep up the streaks for them and they wouldn't lose those. And there, there was such this sense um, in me of, gosh, like, I don't think you all realize how this um, kind of has enslaved you. Like you feel like you have to keep that number going And I just wonder how freeing it would be to just give that up and let the number drop to zero. And then you don't feel like you have to keep up with it anymore. Um, So it was just interesting to, to hear that from students. Oh, it's that important that you, you literally give away your password for the week when, when you're gone. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And even like if they use the Bible app, it's funny. The Bible app gives you a streak counter now because <laughs> mm-hmm. let's be honest, this psychology works on us. We want to have a sense of attainment. We, we want to have some demarcation of our relationships in a statistic. Um, and so, yeah, with, with our Bible apps, some of us like to see an increased streak counter. I was recently on my Kindle app and I saw that my number of times signing into Kindle every, like I've, I have like 50 plus weeks in a row, you know, and I, I'll, I'll be honest, I get a sense of pride, a sense of like, oh, I'm following through on my commitments. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I, I, I want to convince them that this is not good for them. Um, Second John, you know, it's, it's a short letter because he says, I have much to write to you, but I w- I'd rather see you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Your joy and friendship will not be complete unless you're face to face. That's what scripture teaches. And so, yeah, I, I, I had, I had them all repeat after me when I, when I taught the session, I said, repeat after me. I think we should continue this conversation in person, <laughs> you know, and I got them all to say it out loud. I, I, and I said to them, I was like, you won't actually say this unless you're using voice to text, but you're going to type this. <laughs> I think we should continue this conversation in person. Um, and I don't know, like I think about how to convince um, these teens uh, of, of, and preteens too, like 30 some percent of 10 to 20 year olds are using this app. Maybe it's even 50% according to some reports. Our, our preteens are on Instagram. So I, I think about how do you persuade them? Tim Keller, he talks about this in his preaching book about like, in order to persuade someone, think about something that they already believe and then use that with a secondary belief to show how it doesn't line up. So one of the things that I think about is like, there is this stick it to the system, rebellious attitude in teenagers and I'm like, yeah, you shouldn't live after the values of big tech or or big pharma or big government or whatever. Like, don't you want to be your own person? Don't you want to mature and grow to be who you want to be? Um, do you know that Mark Zuckerberg like told his employees that, you know, daily active people, this is in the recent report that you're going to talk to Chris Martin about, but in the re- in the report, they found that there's emails between Facebook product manager and director of growth between, and, and he said, this is a quote directly from this lawsuit from the direct emails obtained by the U.S. government. We got a clear uh, directive from Mark Zuckerberg that it is a bigger concern for Mark right now than user experience. And what is he referencing? He's just referencing USDAP, DAP, daily active people. What does big tech care about? What do they monetize on? DAP, daily, daily active people. That is more important to them than giving you a good experience. That is more important to them than your mental health. That is more important to them than your spiritual health. They do not care about you. Mm-hmm. They are manipulating you. Who are you living for? And so I kind of want to take the rebellious attitude of like, of course you want to be your own independent thinker. Of course you want to mature. That's what te- being a teenager is about, figuring out who you are. Those are important concerns to not simply have the faith of your parents. You're trying to make your faith your own. All right, here's one of the ways to do it. It's to not follow big tech. It's to be your own person and have your own self-control and stick it to the system. 
screw your snap streak, you know? And so maybe that's one directive. Maybe that's not persuasive. I don't know. That's one That's one aspect that I think about as trying to convince them to get off the app. I think you're, you're spot on with that. And it's something, you know, as I've been talking to teens lately, um, they're becoming more aware of that. And they're becoming more aware that they're just a dollar sign to these uh, companies and specifically to Instagram, to Snapchat. And you know, I think, you know, part of our job as, as parents, as youth workers is to be educating this next generation on that reality. And like you said, even using some of Keller's wisdom there of taking some of their already kind of in love with attached to investing in and put a little spin on it, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. help them see kind of the opposite message uh, coming across. But look, we'll probably dive into some of that a little bit more on the other side of the break. But let's take a quick break. And then I'll actually, I think I'm going to pick up with something else that you referenced about Snapchat, but uh, more in just a minute with Andrew and Linda. Hey, everyone. Merry Christmas. If you're enjoying this podcast and appreciate what John and our other co-hosts are doing to highlight issues and opportunities affecting you and the youth in your midst, would you consider giving a year-end gift of any amount to help offset the cost of producing the podcast? As you probably know, RYM has a vast array of resources that we give away for free so that you can be confidently equipped to do your work faithfully. But as you realize, there are costs involved. Your gift would help us continue this work and to expand it in meaningful and exciting ways in the future. Click the link in the show notes or simply go to rym.org slash give. And we appreciate you for listening. And now back to the podcast. All right, everybody, we are back. I'm here once again with Andrew Noble and Linda Oliver. Um, Andrew, as we were talking on the other side of the break, uh, just snap streaks, all of that stuff. I know in your article on your Substack, and it is, yeah, whatever is noble, right? That's how mm-hmm. people access it. Whatever is noble, what's the, or just Andrew Noble. AndrewNoble.substack.com, but if you... Search my name and Substack, you'll probably find it. Okay. Um, but you had a recent post, uh, parenting a teen, question mark. Here's some t- tech resources and just referencing this. And again, all this will be in the show notes. You talked about a filter on Snapchat called Bold, Bold Glamour. Um, why don't you just briefly explain what that is um, for those who might be unaware? Yeah, so it's basically, we've... we've some of us have seen these apps. I was even on a on a Facebook Messenger call with my mom, and then she turned on some of these filters. The the ability and it's AI that's behind it in terms of the the tech, but it it changes your physical appearance. Sometimes adding funny glasses, sometimes giving you a beard, um, but it will change your physical appearance according to whatever the filter is set to. And so one of the filters that came out last year um, was something called Bold Glamour, and it basically makes you look like a supermodel or gives your face the appearance of a stereotypical supermodel. And then we've known for years that supermodels, um, the, the things we see on the covers of magazines in the grocery checkout, you know, you look at those covers, we know that that's Photoshopped. Like there is a understanding of that. I remember even learning that in school. But what I never learned in school was how to do that to myself. 
Now, what we have when we give our children phones is we give them the ability to do that to themselves and compare, um, you know, the the image of what they actually look like compared to what they would look like if they were dressed up like a supermodel. And so that's what Bold Glamour does. And, and this is just one example of, of how anxiety happens um, and a sense of comparison happens through the experience of using the app. And this isn't just on um, TikTok. It's not just on Instagram. It's on Snapchat. People say that Snapchat is just a messaging platform, but it has filters like this too. Um, and, and Snapchat, sometimes it's harder to discern because it deletes after 24 hours, right? Like there's there's a playfulness with it of like, well, we'll just do it and then see what happens. So yeah, so that's that's one example. Um, and in that article, I was trying to just make parents aware of some of the things that occur when they're their children use the app. Um, another quick example that I think um, is going under the radar is just the AI bots that you can interact with. So Snapchat mm-hmm. has an AI bot. Um, Meta has come out with a bunch of AI bots. And like, you got to understand from a, from a kid's perspective, they're like, this could be fun. I mean, I even want to interact with these mm-hmm. bots. You know, they got Chris Paul to be the person behind the one. And I follow Chris Paul on this fake bot. Anyways, but with with one of them, it describes itself as a queer mom of two. And if you message this queer mom of two in a private message, which you can, it will respond, you can tell me anything. Tell me anything you want. You know, and it's it's going to be pushing this ideology. My friend Ian Harbour uh, went into this. So it's just we need to be aware of the various ways that these quote unquote neutral tools, they're not neutral. They're forming and shaping in certain ways. Mm-hmm. That's actually a good segue to um, I think it was in the recent youth group lesson where you were talking about Psalm mm-hmm. 115 and the way that uh, technology shapes us and you used a shovel illustration. So talk a little bit, give us an overview of the shovel illustration and how that relates to Psalm 15 or Psalm 115. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. If I, ha- yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I had just 10 minutes uh, with a group of students, I would spend the whole 10 minutes kind of talking about this shovel illustration. I wish I could say more. I like to be more nuanced, but I got a, expect that other people are going to talk about the gospel. Other people are going to talk about the law. Other people are going to talk about cultural mandate, the good of technology. I would just talk about this shovel illustration and you can use this, steal it from me because I stole it from other people. (laughs) John, John Dyer, he uses this illustration. Jason Thacker uses this illustration. Lots of people use this illustration in the world of the theology of technology. Okay. So what is the illustration? The shovel. Think about a shovel. You think about using a shovel every day. And I, I literally had a shovel and I lifted it up and I show it to, to the students. And I said, imagine I use this shovel every day. Sometimes I set it up by saying, do you think this sh- shovel is, is a neutral tool that can be used for good and bad? Do you think it's a good tool? Do you think it's a bad tool? You know, bring some audience engagement. Then I say to them, you know, imagine if you used it every day for just an hour a day for six months, what would change in you? what would change? And so <laughs> the, at the, at the one event, the one girl like 
gave a like didn't raise her hand just like showed her muscles and i'm like yeah yeah you're right like this person in the audience is showing you know and someone yelled out you'd be buff and i'm like yeah i'd be buff you know i'd i'd be using a shovel every day my muscle fibers would tear and they would regrow and then someone else would say calluses you know if you use a shovel if you've done hard work you know that calluses grow on your hand and that's as a result of using your hand in this way over and over. You also might grow a skill. You know, people would say that, that you'd become more, more useful. Yes, that's true as well. You'd gain this skill. Also, and people don't often bring this up, so I have to introduce it. But I tell them that it will change the way you view the world. And they go, they're like, what? How does a shovel change the way you view the world? Well, if you use it for six months, for an hour every day, the next time there's some snow falling through the air and landing on the ground, you're not as bothered by it because you know you can use the shovel every day. You know, people in Texas, I hear, I haven't been there. Mm-hmm. I hear that people in Texas with just an inch of snow close schools. It's because <laughs> they don't have experience with the shovel, right? Like they, hey, they hey, just... Mississippi as well, Ryan, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wild because you guys just don't have the experience with the technology and therefore your view of the world changes. So you take this kind of idea of tech changes you and you apply it to the tech of today. You apply it to social media. Okay, so maybe the calluses are not on your hands, but maybe they are on your heart, on your soul, forming you in depressing ways and in anxious ways, these new calluses. Maybe these muscle fibers tearing and regrowing, that's more of your relationships, that your relationships might grow in different ways. You might be more in constant communication, but it also takes something away from your relationship. And it changes the way you view the world. When you look at a sunset, you think about the likes it can produce on Instagram rather than just enjoying the beauty of the sun setting. And so this is kind of the the illustration that I use. And I say, is the shovel truly neutral? No, it's not. Every technology shapes you. Every technology is forming you. In fact, I would argue that every technology disciples you in one direction or the other, and even even in multiple directions at the same time, you know, increasing your degree of communicating with others, which is good, while also deforming you to devalue physical relationships. And so Psalm 115 basically is a passage that says something to the same effect. It talks about these Israelites and their competition, and the competition is saying to the Israelites, you worship a God you can't see. And so the Israelites respond in this prayer, in this song that they must have chanted or sung. Like, it's it's interesting that this would was part of their liturgy. Um, the Lord remembers his people. He will bless us. Um, you know, that's what the end of the psalm. But earlier in the psalm, it's like, our God is in heaven. He does what, is please, what he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. We might today say their idols are silicon and lithium. Um, they have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes but cannot hear. They have ears but cannot hear. Basically, the psalm is making fun of these idols, that they don't truly do the things they claim to do. And then, and then it says in the middle of the psalm, those who make them become like them, as do all those who trust in them. Those who make them and trust in them become like them. 
And this isn't just in Psalm 115. This theme, as argued by Greg Beale in his book, We Become What We Worship, this is a solid biblical theme repeated over and over. If you're looking for a biblical story that unpacks it, the, the calf, um, you want to hear a good sermon, the Gospel Coalition Conference 2023, Andrew Wilson unpacked this concept from that golden calf incident. We become what we worship. Um, we become what we behold. And are you beholding God? Are you beholding images of idols and things of that nature? And we were formed by these other things. Yeah, that's, so that's the illustration. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's so good. It's so helpful. Um, yeah, I think any youth worker out there, I mean, use this illustration with your students. And I love that you brought a shovel in with you and get them to kind of interact with that. Um, and there's some, you know, you just think of influencers today. And of course, it's it's in the word, but it's like so many of these teens are, are wanting to be like those. And so becoming like what you, you know, worship. Um there's something else you point out in that, that article, um, and you say, let's see where it is, that AI will always be in the image of man and never in the image of God. Um, I'd love for you to just unpack that a little bit as well, because that's such a great thought. Yeah, so there's like some deep stuff here that I wish I had more time to explore, and maybe I will do a PhD just on this. Like, I think it'd be fun to unpack a biblical theology of artificial images. Because mm. think about images. What Like, is that not, like I just talked about it with what would Jesus tag? We are made to image, image Jesus. Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God. He is the true Adam because he perfectly fulfilled the image. What was, what do we read in Genesis 1? We are made in the image of God in his likeness. We were supposed to become like God but we're supposed to become like God in the way that God describes. So the fall of Adam and Eve, they wanted to become like God, it says. they In the fall in Genesis 2, they, they look at the apple and they, they see that it will make them like God, but in the wrong way, not in God's way, in their own way. So, so there is this, this imaging that we ought to do. And as sub-images of God, we or as images of God, we create sub-images of us. And that's actually a good thing. So AI, as a expression of human creativity, could be good. I think there's something there. But it is obviously, I think, if you think about creating AI pre-fall, versus post-fall. It's just an interesting thing to think about, right? Mm. Another way to think about it is to flip it, um, not just in the garden, but in the city, right? In the new heavens and new earth, we have a city. So there is more clear, a more clear biblical imagery of technology. And so you have like in that city, perfect jewels, perfect gold, perfect streets, perfect houses, um, technology purified, um, you know? And so, and so I think about, you know, when we think about technology today, we think about technology that should be in that cultural mandate from the garden to the city. It should be reflecting the ideals of our creator, first and foremost, the methods and model that we have. Um, we, don't, we don't imitate every single action of Jesus. We don't need to move to Galilee, but we need to 
we need to follow the model of Jesus. We don't mirror him, we model him. We, we, his characteristics, his virtue. And in doing so, yeah, we're going to, to build things, but we need to be very con- cons- conscious of the fact that um, anything we create comes with our flaws, whereas anything that God create comes with, comes without it. So I do think there's a, there's a, there's degrees of goodness, you know, like, like you might say that such and such technology is good. It might have some cursed elements in it, but there's something about the purity of nature that though it groans and awaits its new, new heavens and new earth, there is going to be something different about looking at a tree or as Jesus says, looking at the birds, or as the Proverbs say, looking at the ant. There's going to be something different about looking at God's creation and mirroring that organic creation rather than mirroring our fallen creativity. Um, Fundamentally, we need to mirror God, but we can learn about God through his creation. Uh, Andrew Wilson has a great book on this uh, called God of All Things, where he talks about 30 things (laughs) in the book, 30 chapters. And he just talks about the biblical theology of them and and how they can be analogies for understanding God. So something like pigs obviously has a lot of biblical imagery, but like you think about joy and you think about bacon, you can learn something about God through the creation of bacon. God didn't need to give us bacon, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, you think about honey. He goes into honey. That's one of my favorite Mm -hmm. chapters of the book. Like, like we, we live in a world of sugar right? Sugar is a modern invention. God created honey. It's way better than sugar in a, mm. in a, in a pure way. Like it, it, it fit into the ecology um, that God created in, in the garden. And so you had bees that were making honey so that you can have this sweetness, but it did not um, just destroy bodies in the way that sugar rich food does today. Well, let's say the name of that book again, Andrew Wilson. God of All Things by Andrew Wilson. Okay. So Andrew Wilson is great. If you're looking for like Keller-esque like thinking, um, and I I would point you to Andrew Wilson. He's a pastor from the UK who um, he just launched a new podcast. I haven't listened to many episodes with it, but he is uh, he's a he's a good thinker on these types of things. That's great. Uh, Linda, please jump in with anything in response to that or just anything else that you might have. Yeah. One of the questions that was coming to mind, this almost feels like such a huge question, but you can go with it um, wherever you want. This idea that technology shapes how we view the world. um, You know, then I think about the way that we use technology, um, for faith-based activities, right? Like, oh, but I use my phone to read the Bible or um, we use technology to like project words during a worship service or whatever it is, or even back up from digital technology, like the technology that books can exist. And so we have God's word and like book, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, how do all of these technologies shape the way that we view God? Small question, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they do. They do shape. I think that's the first thing is to just recognize that the technologies do shape the way we view God. I can't answer every aspect of this question. Um, For those who are interested 
in particular with how digital Bibles might shape us in comparison to physical Bibles. Um, there's a great scholar, um, great thinker on the theology of technology, John Dyer. He wrote a book and he did a, like a sociology focused PhD on, um, on digital Bibles versus physical Bibles. He got two groups, like he got a group of people that did a Bible reading plan with digital Bibles, higher completion rates. They they got the daily check-in. They got the reminders, higher completion rates. Also increased confusion, like a lack of understanding of the actual text. Wow. The other group f- were asked to do the physical Bibles, lower completion rates, but then a higher degree of comprehension. Um, and they even understood God differently. Like he asked a question to be like, how do you view God as a result of this passage? And he, I think he did Jude. Um and uh and yeah in in the in the digital bible god was seen as more like uh i forget the word he used but like calm or happy or positive whereas god was seen in the physical bible as more judgmental mm-hmm. like they they actually got a different picture of god through the different medium that they read through and I was like, John, is the sample size big enough for this? And he's like, absolutely, sample size is big enough. We, I had him on the, the our podcast to talk to him about this. And it is absolutely fascinating. But John's great because he says, now, what do we do? Only read physical Bibles and not digital Bibles? He says, no, we can use both. So personally, I have a, I have a rule that I think a lot of Christians are adopting, which is uh, Bible before social media. Every day, just go on the get in your Bible before you go on social media. And for me, like I use a Bible game. Like I use something called Versal. It's like, uh, it's like doodle kind of, uh, kind of a game, or I forget what the wordle wordle it's a, it's based off of wordle. It gives me a Bible verse. I need to find where that Bible verse is in the Bible. And I have five guesses. Anyways, it's just like, it's just something on my phone that I do. And then I reflect on it. I read, I read that verse. I pray through it. And then I try to guess where it is in the Bible because that's fun for me. And first thing in the morning, I'm looking for something fun. And I also want to engage with God's word. And I know my inability to just open up a physical Bible. Anyways, I'm getting distracted here. But um, yes, different Bibles change the way you read. Early Christians used different, used a book instead of a scroll, which is a whole conversation we could get into there. Um the early Christians, they changed the Old Testament from a scroll to a book really early on in distinction from, from Jewish tradition, which is just a wild thing to think about. Why did they change that? Well, I guess they wanted to easily flip through it, find their place. So, so there was already in the early church innovation going on in terms of the form of scripture. Um, and I think like, I, I want to encourage people, the untapped, um, opportunity that exists in audio bibles today Mm -hmm. like that has been the historical method for Mm -hmm. scripture intake for the church and so i think we have a a huge benefit with technology today to listen to god's word if you want to hear god you can just Mm -hmm. turn on an audio bible yeah yeah that is interesting just thinking of god's uh early people hearing the bible i mean not everyone had their own copy and so yeah i've that's something uh, dwell is an app I'm, I'm familiar with. Are, mm-hmm. are you familiar with others that you would recommend for audio Bibles either? I mean, Linda or Andrew. 
Dwell is great. I used it for a while. I've I found that uh, the U version Bible they've improved some of their capabilities, and so I end up using it um, now um, instead of the Dwell. But Dwell is great because of the customization of plans and different things like that. But yeah, I use I use U version, um, and then there's various podcasts that have like readings per day or readings in the year. Alistair Roberts was a really good one that I followed for a while. He just did it for two years and then stopped. Um, but you can go to his um, commentary on, on YouTube or via a podcast app as well. But he read, he read it and then he would comment on it after, which was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And daily strength is one I know Crossway puts out and that that's aimed at, at men, but that's a little daily devotional. And I'm, I'm sure there are others, Linda, not, I mean, putting you on the spot a little bit, are you aware of any uh, audio Bibles or any resources like that, that you'd point to? Um, I'd have to remember the name of what this, it was a Crossway um, kind of devotional podcast. There, there was a season for me where it was almost hard for me to sit down and really intake scripture myself. Like I just kind of needed to be spoon fed with it. And so it was like, here's a passage and here's like a short um, devotional thing kind of about it. It's actually a, a resource that exists in print form and someone was like reading it to you. Um, and it's something that's geared towards women, but I do not remember the name of it, but it's a crossway thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad I know we're maybe getting slightly on a tangent here, but but also just, I mean, the gift of technology with this, because what, what you just said, Linda, there are seasons in our life mm-hmm. where it's 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 hard sometimes to just open up the word and read from it, and we're exhausted, we could be struggling with depression, sickness, all kinds of things, and to have so many different uh, technological you know, um, helps in our spiritual devotional life. I mean, it's just something we should give thanks to the Lord for. Um, look, I know we've got just a few more minutes before we're going to start wrapping this up. Um, again, talking about your article that you wrote for, um, parents, uh, one thing you say in there, just some practical recommendations is no smartphone until 14 and then no social media until 16. You know, anytime I'm talking about this with parents, that's typically a question I get of, okay, when should we give our child a smartphone, um, social media? I'd love for you just to kind of talk about some of your thoughts behind that. And then Linda, please jump in with anything before we close out. Yeah, for sure. And <clears throat> I mean, these are my recommendations. You could add a million caveats, but at the end of the day, you need to make a decision. And so, yes, caveat to your child, your unique circumstances. Yes, yes, yes. Um, no smartphone until 14. I see 14 as an age where they're growing independence. They're, you know, 80 to 90% of their friends will already be on social media. So there's going to be a... Um, environment around them where they want it. Now, maybe you give them, you know, one, like one 15 minute session per week on Facebook messenger when they're 13 years old, where you're sitting next to them and you're allowing them to do some of this kind of stuff and learning it. Um, like even my kids are six and four and I, I, they don't have access to the internet, but I give them access to the notes app. And then I lock the this is old, an old phone of my wife's, an old phone of my own. And then I lock the app. So they get, they're actually learning how to do text messages and send emojis at their age. I'm okay with that. Um, 
before age 14. But again, it's fully supervised and I'm using those parental controls that as, as we noted is something you can do and then no social media. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, that's more independent phone use that at 16, I'm okay with them doing some of that, but I would use those parental controls and it depends on your relationship with your kid because if your kid is, you know, I talked to one mom recently. I was telling you, John, about this the other day. Like, she has a 15 year old boy who's on Snapchat four and a half hours a day, and she restricts it to no more than four and a half hours a day. And he's complaining that that's not enough. Mm. And she's like, What should I do? And I asked her, I said, What's your relationship like with him? <laughs> and I said, What's his relationship like with his dad? And I could tell based around those answers that setting down some rules really rigidly was not going to be helpful. And there was some deeper stuff that needed to be worked on. So rules are good in the context of love. That's what we see modeled by God with Israel and in the New Testament as well. So, yeah. So I would, I would, but yeah, I would say no smartphone until 14. You just, you got to have a card cut off, make it 15, 16 if you want. Um, but for me, it's going to be 14 as of what I know now. And then maybe social media, honestly, with all the research coming out, it's almost like saying no cigarettes until 16, where I'm kind of <laughs> like, maybe I should just say no social media ever. Um, but I appreciated how Andy Crouch raised his kids and kind of taught them about the harms and then they came to their own decision. And so most of his kids are not on social media at all or very, very limited. Um, and so I think if you just model phone wisdom, that goes a long way. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And I think too, just kind of in addition to that, what, whatever parents are listening to this and if they have their age that they've kind of figured out, I just think, um, yeah, you know, it's easier to start on a short leash, right. Instead of giving a long leash and trying to pull it back. And so, uh, giving the device with very little on it, you know, uh, with no internet access, with maybe mm -hmm. just calling and texting capabilities and then slowly kind of adding some things. But I, I think that's, uh, you know, helpful. And yeah, go ahead, Andrew. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just add, cause I found this so helpful. I was listening to Andy Crouch in a podcast and he said, no screens until 10 years old. And I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Like I already give my kids screen time as I've already confessed in this podcast. He's like, he's like, it's bad for them. Look at all this research. Uh, the plasticity of the brain shows that it's being shaped by them. You're being, and, mo and I'm like, oh, I think I agree. Like, this is tough. Anyways, I still am okay with it in limited portions for now. But another thing that he said right after, which was super powerful to me, was while the plasticity of the brain, the research around plasticity of the brain, the way the brain changes and forms and what wires together, fires together, or whatever it's, whatever the frameworks are, I'm not a psychologist. Um, what he said it was super helpful for me that that plasticity also is true as they get older. So if your 12 year old right now is addicted to screens and it's causing them depression, it's causing them anxiety, they, their brain still isn't developed yet. There's lots of times for it to be reformed and reshaped and you can make interventions. You can, you know, have conversations with them, talk about their heart, talk about why they're on it. And yeah, maybe there will come times as a parent where you say, you know, you're saying, no, absolutely no. 
you're not getting any more. This is bad for you. I'm taking the cigarettes away. I'm taking the cocaine away. This is not good for your health. You know, I've had to make the decision for myself to not go on TikTok. I love TikTok. I love Instagram reels. I've, I, I love YouTube shorts. I find them addicting. I find them like cocaine. They are not good for me. So I'm mm. off them. I would say that to my kid and I would say, for you, I need to get you off this because it's causing you damage. And I know you don't understand this and I will explain it to you and I will love you. And let's go out for ice cream and let's go to the beach and let's go go on some analog adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, Nathan Sutherland, he has a podcast called Gospel Tech and he talks about parenting in it. And he said he had this whole series on like analog adventures, you know, and I'm like, yes, that's what we need. Go on analog adventures with your kids um, and take their phone away. Hmm. That's really good. Linda. Yeah, there were a few things that came to mind that I'll just mention quickly. Um, the man, the whole idea of uh, do we give them screens before 10? There is something I was um, learning and talking with people about recently um, related to kind of psychology and like our attachment styles and how all of that happens in early childhood. And one of the dynamics going on there is this idea of we learn early on, where do I go when I'm in distress? Like what can help me relieve that distress? And for some, they have parents that they can go to. And for others, they feel like their parents aren't emotionally available to them and they have to kind of um, deal with that themselves. But I think now also um, so many children, when they have a moment of distress, they're being handed a screen so that they'll calm down. Right. And so I was just like, oh gosh, I just really wonder what that is doing um, when it happens often enough that that's what is being ingrained in the child is a screen mm-hmm. is what a- alleviates your distress. Um, which is not to say like we can never give them screens before 10 or whatever, but it's just one of those factors that uh, makes it feel extra complicated. Um, And one other thing just to throw back to, was it maybe a few episodes ago, John, you had on um, someone who had been a RYM summer intern and was talking about the way Mm -hmm. she was raised um, and her parents like, had her password. She did not know her password until way later, um, even when she was given access Mm -hmm. to Instagram. And just hearing her talk through some of the ways that her parents thought through it, I thought was really helpful. And I was like, wow, I'm grateful that there are parents that are thinking through intentionally um, how to do these things and having a good um, relationship with their teens as they're doing it, not just laying down rules, but also having the conversations about, Hey, this is why, so that they understand. And they, they have that relational aspect to it. Um, the other thing I was just going to quickly mention is I mentioned that crossway podcast looked it up. So I know the name it's daily joy, which happens to be the female counterpart to daily strength, which John had mentioned. So there we go. Got it. Yeah. Just to, just to add one other thing to what you were saying there, because um, I so agreed, you can't give them the phone when you're stressed or your kid is stressed. And like the the way that I've thought about it as a parent is 30 minutes of nonstop crying at the top of their lungs and the top of my lungs is way better than giving them the phone. Mm-hmm. Like to just see, to just like value crying and lament and weeping over you know and they're even them being angry at you 
read the Psalms. We're, we're encouraged to be angry with God. God's okay with it. He put it in the scriptures. It's sacred text of complaining <laughs> to God in the Psalms. So if you need to model that same affirmation of weeping and crying and wailing and lamenting and anger even with your kids and be okay with them expressing their full emotions and then storming out on you or whatever, that is better than giving them the lollipop, the cigarette, the phone, whatever will placate them. The, the, I mean, with their baby, they're, they're six months old, give them a pacifier, give them some food, like, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, totally. And and that's good advice. And, and just to kind of um, maybe emphasize that as well. Um, you know, that's something, and this isn't like a, Hey, pat myself on the back for, for parenting, but that's something that we've educated our, our oldest on who does have a smartphone and does have social media. Uh, when she's upset or when something's been hard, being cautious of just reaching for the device. And, you know, I need to notice that as an adult. Uh, I mean, again, all of those listening to this who are adults, we need to notice our tendency to seek refuge in our devices. And there are times, yes, it, it could be okay just to kind of, you know, stream the office and laugh and and watch something that just kind of, you know, adds some levity. Uh, but we need to be aware of that tendency. We need to be educating the next generation of that. Um, that's just one way we can we can kind of guide them in this. Um, Andrew, before we started recording, I said, yeah, I could talk to you for two hours. Um, there's so much more to talk about. I always enjoy talking with you. Hopefully we can get you back on the podcast. And again, to those who are listening, all the stuff that we've been mentioning this we'll have in the show notes. So check those out and check out What Would Jesus Tech? Uh, Linda, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Can I add one more thing? Please do. Yes, absolutely. I just want to recommend a book that I haven't recommended yet in this episode. And so if you're a teenager, and, and genuinely I'm saying this, if your teenager is going through and, they, and you want to help them and you want to read a book with them for like a month, at a, over a month and help them, then read Social Media Pressure, Finding Peace Alongside Jesus. I, I forget the author's name. I think it's John something Perry or Perot or something like that. But it's a it's genuinely like I I just finished reading it in the past week, and I'm like, if this is the book that I want to give to teenagers who are struggling with screen addiction or screen anxiety or social media depression related, like genuinely, thank you for writing that book, John, because. There isn't a book like it that I know of. Um, and I've read a lot of books on technology and Christianity. So that is a good resource. Thanks for saying that, Andrew. And to our listeners, I did not pay him to say that. So, <laughs> but no, uh, really, I appreciate that encouragement and appreciate the two of you joining me in this conversation today. Mm-hmm.